Father Patrick Ryan, S.J., on Pope Francis. I, I'm not that good in Spanish for what he calls the casalazos, the uh, potbangers. But that's a typical Argentinian way of protesting, going around with a spoon and a pot and banging them and uh, making noise. And uh, he said when he was coming to the Vatican, he was going to make a racket, was the way they translated it in English. But what he meant was the Casalazos. He was going to take on the Roman Curia and uh, especially disturb their uh, satisfied ways of doing things without asking any questions. From Religion News Service, this is Beliefs. I'm Bill Baker. How can one know a pope? Even now, in an age when every word spoken is recorded, every homily delivered is archived, and every act of penitence is fully witnessed, it's still possible to find we know nothing about Pope Francis. Pope Francis guides the practice, dreams, and conscience of over 1.2 billion Catholics worldwide. Our guest, Father Patrick Ryan, S.J., Lawrence J. McGinley, Professor of Religion and Society at Fordham University, has written the foreword of the book, In Your Eyes, I See My Words, official homilies of Jorge Bergoglio from his days in Buenos Aires. He joins me to discuss the underpinnings of the man who would become Francis. We're at Fordham University uh, talking with Jesuit priest Father Pat Ryan about a new book that he wrote the foreword to, Pope Francis, In Your Eyes I See My Words, The Homilies and Speeches from Buenos Aires, Volume 1, 1999-2004. So it's uh, the Pope's homilies when he was uh, uh, Archbishop of Buenos Aires. Uh, Father Ryan, really nice to be with you. Thanks for having me, Bill. Father Ryan has been one of my heroes for a long time, intellectual hero. Uh, at any rate, uh, Father Ryan, when you first saw this work uh, and you first saw uh, the Pope's homilies, were you surprised by anything? Well, I was delighted to see that the homilies were brief, but he also has more substantial discourses in this as well. But the homilies, he warns you, should be less than 10 minutes or less, and that's a very good warning for preachers. But he... Uh, he does a, a lovely job in uh, presenting things with a certain sense of humor and with a certain uh, uh, charm when he's pre preaching. He says that preaching should be a motherly uh, performance. It should be uh, like the, a mother talking to her children. And he said, not nagging the children. <laughs> he said, but to keep it brief and keep it to the point and communicate directly with people where they are. Anything especially profound in this first volume that you'd like to point out? Well, one of the things I, I found uh, uh, particularly interesting is uh, the critique of postmodernism in it. He, uh, he says that the, we're sort of in a whatever time. Uh, the people say it's all tango, is the way they say it in Argentina. Uh, a, a sense of, you know, who cares? It's all not important. And he said, this is a problem uh, that people are not taking life as seriously as they should. So I think he has some point there to make, and especially to uh, a generation in Argentina, uh, which uh, had gone through some economic and political chaos for several decades. 
the Pope, uh, you point out in your foreword, is also an intellectual. Uh, he was He's an expert on literature. He's a, a, a poetry. Uh, does he weave his intellectual power into his homilies? Uh, less so in the homilies than in the discourses. The homilies are more uh, a father speaking to his children or a mother to her children. He is... Uh, He's direct, but he doesn't uh, he doesn't flash uh, quotations from Karl Rahner, this sort of thing. But he does, uh, in fact, when he's speaking more formally, for instance, when he speaks to educators in Brazil or to business people who are supporting education in the Catholic uh, schools, he does speak much more from a learned perspective. And what I'm surprised is how much he uh, also speaks from the perspective of Pope John Paul II. He quotes him quite frequently. It is interesting that it has been pointed out that there is almost a continuum. You would think they all, the last three popes, one would think there'd be some considerable differences. But apparently there's a continuum between Pope John Paul, uh, uh, Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis. Yes, and he has said that several times uh, in recent uh, interviews, uh, how much he admires both of them and how much he used their their ideas. He, He was very careful to quote them and to... To read, he has read those rather difficult encyclicals by Pope John Paul II, which were partially written by Pope Benedict when he was the Cardinal Ratzinger. Uh, but they are uh, important things in showing that the Pope has the intellectual capacity to deal with philosophical and as well as theological issues. Now, you had mentioned that the Pope uh, in in these writings uh, had a certain amount of criticism for the times that people were not taking a lot of the issues that they should be taking seriously, more seriously. Do you want to point out what some of those are and, uh, and, uh, and how that reflects where he is today and his preachings? Well, one of the things he points out is the, um, uh, the cultivation of youth. He said people seem to want, he said the ideal human being seems to be an adolescent pretending that he or she is an adult. And he, he says there's, there's too little uh, respect for the wisdom of age, and even trying to disguise age. I was just appalled this morning watching television to see that you can get various sort of makeup to put on your face to disguise wrinkles, but wrinkles are a sign that you're you're at a certain age, and trying to look forever young is somehow unhealthy, I think. You had mentioned earlier that uh, he uh, he makes he was not always just sweet and loving in his uh, homilies, that he did make people squirm a bit sometimes. Yes, and especially he said that, <laughs> I, I'm not that good in Spanish, for what he calls the casalazos, the uh, potbangers. But that's a typical Argentinian way of protesting, going around with a spoon and a pot and banging them and uh, making noise. And uh, he said when he was coming to the Vatican, he was going to make a racket, was the way they translated it in English. But what he meant was the Casalazos. He was going to take on the Roman Curia and uh, especially disturb their uh, satisfied ways of doing things without asking any questions. It appears that he has done that, uh, and he's done that pretty well. Um, uh, is, uh, and there's a feeling by many that this pope is one of the very best popes in all of, um, certainly in all of modern papal history. Would you agree with that? I would. I would say he's different from uh, both Benedict and John Paul II. He's not as academic as both of they, both of those popes. But he is certainly uh, he is capable of making many of the points they make, sometimes in simpler language. 
and he is capable, though, of, of analysis. He was very affected by certain German theologians that he had read before he became pope, and even when he considered doing graduate studies on the, uh, in theology on the work of Romano Guardini, who, despite the Italian name, was, uh, although born, I think, in Italy, was raised in Germany and was always a priest in Germany. But he was, uh, he was intrigued by people who were into the theology of history and uh, a concept of looking at history from a large perspective. Now, the Pope is not only the leader of the Roman Catholic Church, he's in many ways uh, these days a global moral leader. All of the surveys say if there is one global moral leader, who is it? And uh, for those that care about that issue, and unfortunately fewer and fewer do, they uh, rate him as the as probably that person. Um what do you think his, or what does he say his feelings are, not only about these times, but about what can be done about them? Well, he's particularly concerned about not purely ecclesiastical issues, but uh, world historical issues. And uh, for instance, the environment, he is very concerned about uh, what's going on in the Amazon. And I would say also in the Congolese forests and the Indonesian forests, where the the lungs of the world are being burned out, being chopped down and burned. And uh, this is a very serious issue. And he, he realizes the world importance of uh, environmental issues as a moral issue. Moral issues are not just between individuals. They're between the whole populations. And uh, the, the issue of the destruction of the Amazon uh, is going to affect certainly all of the southern hemisphere, but it may also affect the northern hemisphere as well. Back to this incredible book of uh, his homilies, uh, the Pope's homilies. Um, how did he go about, I guess we have some understanding of how he went about preparing the homilies. He didn't just speak off the top of his head, I assume. I hope not. <laughs> the longer a homily it is, the more it is off the top of the head. Uh, I tend to, when I'm preaching myself, to have a text in front of me so that, especially if I'm preaching on radio, that I won't have too many errs and ahs and, and non sequiturs. But he is also, uh, he's very concerned to communicate with his audience. So if he's preaching uh, to lay people, or he's preaching, for instance, at the chrism mass for priests, uh, the once a year and during Holy Week when they consecrate the oils used in baptism and confirmation and ordination uh, and the anointing of the sick, when he does that, he preaches about what it means to anoint a world. And he says preaching should be a type of anointing too. It should be sent to heal and to comfort and to, uh, uh, to give new life. As you saw all of these homilies together, and now you've had the privilege actually to, to peek at some of the other ones in, uh, in additional volumes of his homilies to come out, uh, you said you weren't necessarily surprised, but do they have a kind of common tone and a common feeling? Well, he, what struck me is that he, how, how concerned he was with the actual realities on the ground in Argentina. I had to look up some things about Argentinian recent history in order to understand some of the things he was referring to. And uh, I think that's important that he engaged with the, uh, uh, the uh, realities on the ground in Argentina during those five years of this book, 99 to 2004. But that's true. I've already read the second volume as well in galleys, and uh, that is also uh, very obvious in his reactions to things that happened in Argentina. 
who are the people involved? You wrote the foreword, but uh, the book was translated. This is the only and the official uh, uh, English language version, I guess the only one that ever will be. Uh, uh, and But there are editors, there are other people involved. Do you want to talk about some of them and their skills? The editor of the original, which was published in Italian, First uh, was Antonio Spadaro, who is the uh, Jesuit from the south of Italy, who is uh, the one who also did the interview with the Pope of, uh, after he became Pope, and he was the one who did that interview over several sessions. But Spadaro uh, is uh, the editor of Civiltà Cattolica, which is the monthly that since the 19th century the Jesuits have run for the papacy, and it is considered always to be an official document. But uh, uh, the Civiltà is uh, has has certainly been unleashed in a way that's uh, fantastic under Pope Francis. They are uh, they are uh, they are pursuing the pursuing issues that are important to modern Europe, modern America, uh, modern Africa and Asia and Latin America. So it's a uh, it's a it's a, a much more exciting journal now that he is uh, editing it. But Spadaro has uh, had a tremendous. Uh, uh, effect on the Pope and getting the Pope to communicate directly with uh, the modern world. There are so many people that uh, love the Pope and have a feeling of his warmth and uh, re- a realistic approach to life and certainly n- not a uh, corporate type a, uh, n- uh, and not pompous. Uh, any more about that, that's, that side of uh, the Holy Father? Well, I think he has been a pastor for a long time, and uh, I think that's the difference between him and uh, some of the popes in the 20th century who were <clears throat> basically academics, uh, people like uh, uh, Pius XII was more a diplomat, but uh, Paul VI was more academic, uh, and also uh, John Paul II was a philosopher, and Benedict was a very famous theologian as uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, or Professor Ratzinger originally. And uh, they are uh, great academics, but uh, he, uh, he certainly, uh, although he, I think he had the capacity to do that, he never actually pursued a doctorate. And he, uh, he was much more interested in people's realities on the ground. But he had a good training in literature, in philosophy, in chemistry, actually. He also trained in chemistry before he even entered the Society of Jesus. So he, he has a, a good, broad background, but he also continues to read. I remember his very first uh, Sunday he was Pope. He spoke about the book on mercy that had just been published. Uh, uh, but um, the, uh, he spoke about the, uh, uh, the importance. He said, I'm not advertising the book, mind you. <laughs> he said, but uh, he is, is a person who reads and who uh, thinks. And uh, he's uh, especially important, I think, for that. Do you think that um, uh, uh, one of the things that the Pope is known to have said several times is, I don't know the answer to that, or uh, I don't. I don't necessarily ha- have an opinion, or who am I to judge? Uh, any thoughts about a pope that takes those that kind of position? I think it's so important to realize that uh, the the concept of infallibility of the pope has tended to overflow and spread to everything, and uh, he uh, he is. This is a pope who realizes that uh, infallibility is a very limited charism, and it only applies to very very minor things in the, but I mean important, but uh, seldom rising things in the history of the church. And uh, he, he certainly, he expresses his opinions, but sometimes he says he doesn't know. He doesn't know the answer to that, and he wants to find out more. 
And I think that's very important to realize that uh, you don't have to be magisterial every time you open your mouth. Uh, one of the things that the Pope seems to spend some considerable time on in this book, In Your Eyes, I See My Words, um, uh, is education. Uh, the thoughts about the Pope and his interaction and interfacing with education. Well, I think it's very Jesuit of him because Jesuits have always been so concerned with schools since the 16th century. But he was particularly concerned because of some homogenization being planned by the Argentine government of uh, the educational policies and curriculum in, uh, in Argentina. And he wanted to emphasize the importance of moral formation and of religious education as well as uh, technical education. So he was very much sticking up for the more liberal tradition of education, uh, which is typically the Jesuit, typical of Jesuit schools, that we're not really, really technical schools, but uh, schools that are to in, inculcate in people a sense of uh, the broader realities of life. Um, the name of the book interests me. In your eyes, I see my words. What, what exactly does that mean? I, uh, I was puzzled by it at first. I think what he says, he is looking at his listeners, and he sees how they react. He sees how they respond or don't respond to what he says. And then he, uh, he, he's teaching. He's not just giving a speech uh, to uh, an empty room. He's actually looking at the eyes of the people with whom he's speaking, and he's reacting to them and to the puzzlement they may manifest or the interest they may manifest. And he, uh, he's not cutting his cloth to fit the, uh, uh, the uh, circumstances every time, but he is, certainly, um, he is certainly trying to communicate, and communication is the center of it, that... Uh, I see my words in your eyes. In other words, you have understood what I am saying uh, because I, I can see from your response. You may resist what I am saying, but I want to, like a firm mother, uh, come back to you and say, yes, but I want you to consider this. So he, he does that frequently, I think. He, he reacts precisely to people where they are. By the way, congratulations on your wonderful foreword in which you uh, happily say that this is a pretty easy reading. It's pretty, uh, it, it, it's pretty accessible. Uh, and so thank you for that. Well, thank you. I, I especially loved his exhortation to keep the Sunday homilies short. He said uh, a, a priest told him about his father coming from another place in Argentina saying they had just found a wonderful church where there's no homily on Sunday. <laughs> And he said, people stepping out of the homily, somebody stepping out of the church to have a cigarette during the homily. But I've said, I've seen my own cousins do that in Ireland, so I'm not, I'm not unfamiliar with it. Father Pat Ryan, Jesuit priest, uh, university professor at Fordham University, talking about the new Pope Francis book, In Your Eyes, I See My Words, The Homilies and Speeches from Buenos Aires, Volume 1, 1999 to 2004. Uh, thank you very much for being with us, Father Ryan. Thank you for having me. Our guest was scholar, professor, and author, Father Pat Ryan, S.J. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. 
I'm Bill Baker, and thank you for listening.